You're listening to Market Scale Sports and Entertainment. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have an opportunity to have a conversation with Taylor Baird, an analyst with Legends. Taylor, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. I have a question. Tell me a little bit. Well, it's a two-part question. Actually, it's a 14-part question, but one step at a time. Tell me how you got into this sports and entertainment world and what exactly do you do at Legends? Sure. So I actually kind of think that this was a product of having the right work experience and timing. I kind of fell into it. I had been working as a market researcher on the supply side for about eight years. And then I was doing some contract work with Southwest Airlines. And, you know, I'm sitting there reviewing the fact that my contract is, you know, about to be coming up as ending. And I wasn't sure if they were going to renew me or not. They were undergoing some restructuring of that department. And um, so I decided to kind of take a look around and start thinking about my next step. And I got an email one day from Teamwork Online, which is a job board for sports for sports jobs. And I'd had this notification set up since I graduated from college. It was something I never went in and changed. And all of a sudden I came across this analyst position with legends and it was market research, but it was also about sports and I love sports. And I was just like, I can marry a passion and my job experience. And I'm not sure I could have written a better job description for me. So it was kind of a kind of a perfect storm. And I went in, interviewed, and two weeks later, I was hired. Um, what I do is uh, I, we conduct markets and financial feasibility studies. And that encompasses about 80 million different tasks. But ultimately, we look at a market for a university or a professional sports team or a municipality that wants to do a youth sports complex or you know, a city or county that's looking to draw an expansion franchise, say for the MLS, and we look at their market and we do surveys and focus groups and conversations with the corporate community. And we basically take all this information and we we analyze and determine what the supportability of a particular renovation or new construction project is. So that in a very sounds long like way, an that's awful what we do. lot of math. That sounds it's, like an awful lot of math. It's some math, but it's also people skills. Um, you know, sometimes you're calling people and they have no idea who you are, or why you're calling. And if you call up an NBA team and start hey, asking them, hey, how much does it cost to sit uh, courtside for, for you? Because I'm trying to benchmark the entirety of the NBA. Sometimes you get a very polite, we're not giving you that information. <laughs> and so you kind of have to try to find a way to get information from people. Um, you do a little bit of math, you do some financial modeling, um, but it's only a small sliver of everything that we do. Writing is very important. Um, the ability to write a, write the story and, and take the information and boil it down for somebody who doesn't do this every day and say, this is why we think your project could be supported or why we don't, because sometimes we also have to go in and be the bad guy. Well, as a as an analyst, it doesn't hurt to have a passion for the industry that you work in. And I know for a fact that you're nuts about hockey. So we'll talk about that in a moment. I want to go wider frame. Mm -hmm. I want to look at the overall concept of sports, specifically in the United States and the way that it's changing. And that's something that you watch constantly. 
you kind of you have to monitor that because the recommendations that you give and the ideas that you're able to generate all focus around just how quickly the the concept of viewing a sporting event is changing with the advent of new technologies and and buildings and there's about like you said there are a million things that go into deciding hey let's build an arena or hey let's get a team tell me a little bit about how technology sort of frames the way that you do your job i think it's important to understand that technology has actually more or less changed the way that sports fans intake a game and you know it used to be let's take hockey as a good example because i feel like it is it used to be that in order to actually understand what was happening in a hockey game you had to go to the game you could never see that puck on the screen they tried some some glowing puck whatever i don't know why they tried that it was awful um because it's such a it's such a fast-paced sport with this tiny little object that is going around around the rink and unless you know about hockey and know to actually watch the players and not really try to pay attention to the puck it's a it's it's difficult viewing experience on a standard definition television with the advent of HDTV and, you know, the ability to stream online and no longer have to be part of a cable package anymore to get the sports that you want. All of these things have kind of changed the way that we, we intake our sports. And so now arenas and football stadiums are in baseball parks, all those, all those facilities are trying to compete with the at home experience. So at home, you get plush seating and you get food within steps of, you know, of your seat and you get your own bathroom and you don't have to wait in line for beer. Um, and you can turn whatever volume on that you want. And you kind of, you know, it's, it's the ultimate luxury, right? To sit there and watch the sport how you want to. So now facilities are trying to, trying to decide how do we replicate some of those things? and continue to draw people to actual live sporting events because the cost of attending a sporting event is much more than watching it at home. You know, that's really interesting that as technology has advanced, it almost seems as if it is changing the way people are fans. I, I don't know if I've have I said that correctly, but it, you know, as you said, 15 years ago, I want to see a, a hockey game. I go to the arena, I sit down, I watch the game. That's the reason I'm there. Yeah, I might joke with my buddies sitting next to me, but we're not going to check out watching a TV of highlights of some other game or we're, well, we're there to watch that game. And it seems like sports are sort of changing from an event, the specific game, to an experience experience of the whole thing and being with your buddies and the social aspect of it and being able to get other pieces of information through other screens that are in the in the arena or in the suite or the concourse or wherever you are do you do you find that to be true across all sports oh absolutely when we do our research we talk about the entire game experience so let's take baseball for example because i feel like baseball is is the first sport that's really noticing seismic shifts in, in their attendance trends because of this. So baseball is a, is a leisurely paced sport, right? It, it goes by, you can sit there and have a five minute conversation between pitches. Sometimes it seems. Um, so people are not necessarily sitting in their seats for all 
nine innings of a baseball game. They want to get up. They want to be able to go to a, a beer garden and get, get a beer and talk with their friends. And they want to remain connected with the game. But, you know, then you look on TV and it looks like there are all these empty seats. And the case may be that these people are there. They're just not sitting in the seats anymore. It's, you know, and then it's before the game. They want to be able to go and have a variety of food options. And, you know, if you don't have good food anymore at a, at a facility, it seems like people just, I mean, why would you go and pay overpriced, um, you know, cost to eat somewhere if the food isn't good? So baseball parks are having to innovate in that area to try to draw in people and say, you can turn this into the full all-day experience that has the social aspects, that has the technology aspects. You don't, you don't even think about asking people these days, is Wi-Fi connectivity important? It used to be that if your facility had just Wi-Fi in general, you were at the top of the class. You were a class facility. Now, the expectation is that not only can I go in and have Wi-Fi connectivity, but I will, I should be able to stream that other divisional game that, you know, has an impact on my team's chances to make the playoffs and be able to keep up with that or read my Twitter or post on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the case may be, as well as being able to do all of the normal things that you do when you take in a sporting event. So, so they really, when we're going in and, and assessing a new facility, it's, it starts with ingress and egress. Is it easy to get in? Is it easy to get out? If you build a parking garage, you know, to save yourself on real estate, what impact does that have on the fan experience? And will people go if they have to spend forever trying to get out of a parking garage? You know, do you have ancillary development around you? Do you have the bars and the restaurants or hell, even the retail? Sometimes, you know, the, the wives aren't always into the game and they want to be able to go shop. Why, that's part of why Jerry Jones has a Victoria's Secret pink store inside of his, his facility. So there's all of these things that, that these teams and these counties and cities think about because if you're going to spend a whole bunch of money to build something, you have to make sure people are going to go to it. You know, it's uh, probably one of the main reasons that this podcast is called Sports and Entertainment, because sports is no longer just an event. It is literally an entertainment choice, much like the movies or the opera or, you know, a high school play, whatever. Sports is about not just the game. It's about the experience and the whole thing as an entertainment choice. And I think you're absolutely right. You can't just, you know... All right, let's get to midcourt, toss a ball up in the air, and that's all we have to do. You have to add more uh, social value. And I think that if you provide those external sort of, you would call them amenities, but now they're just expected. You know, mm -hmm. amenity is a fancy word for extra. It's not extra. If I go to a stadium, they better have Wi-Fi. Why, why would you build a stadium without that? That's like saying you built it without having plumbing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just, it's not just that. It's also things like, um, open concourses. It used to be that the concourses were just functional. They were there for you to be able to get to the restroom, get a beer, get a hot dog, you know, maybe buy a hat and then go back to your seat. But now they, you know, the trend in sports facilities across all sports really is to open those up so that you have views of the game no matter where you are. 
make them really wide so it's easy to walk around and you don't feel like you're basically being cattle cattle being herded you know down down the way and so the, there are small things like that that you probably don't even think about when you walk into a facility these days that all goes into the planning process and all goes into the research that we do to understand what people want and we still ask the question do you want wi-fi connectivity because you you get how you get how passionate people are about the facility having that and how it is kind of expected and it's not just the premium seat holders anymore it's not just the person who's expecting to be able to do business in a luxury suite it's also just the everyday fan the person sitting in the worst seat in the building still expects to have good leg room a comfortable seat and to be able to have a good sightline to the action they're paying to see you mentioned open stadium plans and i want to talk about that for a minute let's say for example you go to a cowboys game there are people who go to a cowboys game who never have a seat they just right. go to stand it's a party plaza right do exactly. you think that will have a major impact on the way that seats the whole concept of seating do you think that changes that moving forward absolutely i think that they're going to start you know thinking about the full game day experience and i keep going back to baseball because i feel like this sport might be one of the forerunners of these innovations in the sense that they're just constantly seeing, seeing decline in attendance. The games are so long. Um, there's so many of them. And, you know, you build these really beautiful ballparks, um, but a lot of them are too large these days and they've got to find a way to make them more intimate and make them feel like more of a, a like you said, an atmosphere and experience. And I look at what the Colorado Rockies did. They took out 5,000 seats, which to a lot of people would signal, oh, this franchise is in dire straits if they're having to take out 5,000 seats. They took out 5,000 seats in their upper deck, and they created a two-story, um, it's got like three bars and a whole bunch of standing room only areas, and that thing is packed to the gills almost every single game because people want that kind of experience. And it also helps that you can basically look right behind you and you've got this gorgeous vista of the Colorado Rockies. Um, so the game kind of is irrelevant when you're looking at something that majestic. But they really like looked at it and said, we're not ever selling these seats. So why not go in and take them out and build something that we can actually sell? So you're going to start seeing these kinds of creative ideas of creating plazas. Um, if you look at the Atlanta Hawks, they just did a renovation where they took out some seats on the lower level at court level and turned it into a patio area with a club lounge behind it that their other courtside seat holders get access to because people want that social experience and they also want to be able to see and be seen. So you're going to start seeing them even happening in prime locations. So it's a very fascinating trend we're seeing in your start and you really see it in collegiate sports as well. Um, it used to be that if I went to a game, I had two options. I could buy a general bench seat, bleacher seat or I could buy a luxury suite. Today, you can go into any, almost any stadium in collegiate football, at least at the Division I level, and you can buy a club seat. You can buy um, a terrace patio seat. You can buy a luxury suite. You can buy a loge box. You can buy a field level club membership where you can sit anywhere but still have access to a club lounge and 
you know, sometimes the players go through there. It's something that Jerry Jones uh, kind of sparked with his AT&T stadium development. So there's all these kinds of things that they're, teams are starting to recognize you have to segment your offerings to be able to draw in the most amount of people. And that has to do with the seating as well. So you mentioned several other stadiums. Now, I hope this question doesn't get you in trouble, but is there a chance you're working on something that's kind of secret, but not secret enough that we'd get in trouble if you told me about it? What kind of projects are you involved in right now that really have your attention? Sure. Um, so I just actually got back from last week. I was in San Diego. San Diego State University is is uh, looking at purchasing where the San Diego Chargers used to play, which was Qualcomm Stadium. It's now SDCCU Stadium. Nobody calls it that. Um, and, you know, the city is left with this this facility that is so old. And to be able to bring it up to the standard that people expect today from a sports facility, it would basically cost the same amount as just building a whole new one. Um, so they have a ballot measure that is up for vote later this year, and they're looking at two different options. One is San Diego State University building an on-campus football stadium and then using that to spur academic buildings, student housing, retail, uh, restaurants, ancillary development, um, because they're kind of landlocked and they don't have the ability to expand for a 20,000 plus student body. Um, and then the other option would be for somebody to come in and win the MLS expansion bid and build an MLS stadium on the site, um, office buildings, retail, things of that nature, but not necessarily ha have the SDSU component. And so that's one project that I'm working on that I think is going to be really interesting because both sides have really good ideas um, and impacts that it could have on the city. And it's going to come down to what the city voters decide they want that that land to go to. Um, so that's a really fascinating one. Um, another one that we're working on and I believe is known in the public sphere is Legends is actually part of the project development team for the new uh, Hollywood Entertainment Stadium District, I think is what it's called or whatever name it has today. Um, the new Rams and Chargers NFL Stadium in Los Angeles. I didn't want to interrupt. I was hoping you were going to give me uh, some more details. Okay. Uh, so about that project, uh, you know, obviously I believe the price of that one is actually inching up. It's going to be $2 billion when it's all said and done, maybe more. Um, that includes a state of the art stadium. They've got some fascinating renderings out. Um, and if you're ever out in Los Angeles, you can contact the legend sales team and they'll probably want to try to sell you some seats, they have these really awesome uh, models that you, where you can kind of see the stadium and all of the ancillary development around it. So they have like over five, I want to, well, I don't want to say a number because I might get in trouble for that, but, you know, on-site parking. And then they also have, um, they have plans for the ability to put in, you know, a movie theater and bars and restaurants, and there's going to be a bunch of retail. Um, so when they're building this, the owners of the team aren't just looking to build a stadium. They're really looking to build an entertainment destination. Um, and we've seen this before. Uh, Staples Center in Los Angeles is like that. They have the LA Live out front. 
and it has some options and get it. What it does is it draws people in and creates additional tax revenue in the area through the sales of different items or food or beverages. Um, you know, it, it drives parking revenues and, and really just kind of drives up the value of that entire property, not which is good because a lot of times when you build a stadium, property values around it kind of decrease because you just have a stadium and there's nothing else drawing people constantly there. So that's what they've done is they've come up with a plan to really create this entertainment district. And I think you're seeing it a lot more at the professional level with this idea of if we're going to build new, we're, we've got to build all of these other things. But it actually has a trickle down effect. Now colleges are looking at, okay, I want to renovate my football stadium, but maybe I need to build in a student club into the facility where they can go and hang out and use their dining dollars and eat lunch and have little study areas. And, you know, then the kitchen can be used on non-event days by the hospitality program to kind of teach them, you know, the various inner workings of kitchens and in hotels or things like that. And, you know, they're really starting to look at these facilities as not just we're going to go play six games here, but how can we increase the the utilization and increase the foot traffic, which brings more value to sponsors and naming rights partners and drives revenues in that way as well. So it's, it's become this trickle down effect that we're seeing throughout all levels of sports. And a lot of that is driven by how we take in sports today. Like we were talking about earlier. Well, I, that's really interesting. That whole sort of integration and synergy on the on the college campuses. I think that's a really it's a really fascinating development. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question and put you on the spot a little bit. Sure. You have unlimited access in this hypothetical to either the championship of the Frozen Four, right? The NCAA uh, men's hockey. You have unlimited access to the championship game. Okay. Game game seven of the Dallas Stars Stanley Cup home game okay. or the Olympic gold medal men's hockey or women's hockey. Which of those four do you pick? Oh, game seven every time. I like it because it, Brett Hall did not kick that puck. That exactly. was the incidental. That was, That's a total goal. That was totally a legit goal. Uh, suck at Buffalo. Um no uh i think there's an intensity that you know there there's definitely intensity in all of those scenarios and there's and there's something to be said about you know competing for your country and the and the national pride you get for that but after going through four you know potentially four different rounds of seven games and really slogging it out you know and being a warrior tested with the guy next to you there's Something about that emotion and that heightened sense of it comes down to this. This is like the biggest 60 minutes of your life. It's the difference between winning the Stanley Cup, which is the hardest trophy in sports to win, or going home. And I just, I don't think that uh, there's anything really, quite honestly, better in my opinion, but that's just me. Um, and I don't think that my heart would survive a game seven. So I'm hoping the stars don't do that to me ever. Yeah, just go ahead and knock it out in four. Let's exactly. just, you Let's know, just go ahead and go over the sweep. 
Cool. <laughs> yeah, don't don't mess around. Today, I've been talking to Taylor Baird, an analyst with Legends. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time for me today. And now I know who to talk to whenever I need to find tickets or some sort of, you know, secret information about any sporting entity in the United States. You're going to be my go to. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. No problem. Anytime. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 